Well, good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. It's a, a small but mighty crowd this morning. I like it. I'm excited. So this is, this is the crowd that didn't stay up past midnight. So you guys got to come in early for the nine o'clock service. I know you went to bed early just so you could make sure that you showed up this morning at nine o'clock because this is your service. So anyway, it's, uh, it's good to see all of you this morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Alex Culpepper. Uh, I'm on staff here at Village Church as one of our children's ministry directors, and uh, it is my pleasure to be in here and share the word with you this morning. So some of you may know this about me, and some of you might not know this about me, but I have this, uh, this interesting hobby, something that I'm really into. I sing in barbershop quartets. Uh, and it's, it's a, a lot of fun, it's a blast, and I can imagine as I say that, like you probably have a picture in your head right now of me like in a striped vest, maybe like a garter on my arm, a straw hat, and I'm doing one of these numbers or something, and uh, I need you to completely wipe that picture out of your head, uh, because that's just, that's just a stereotype, that's not at all uh, what, what my quartet looks like, although if, uh, if you ask my wife, she would probably tell you that some of the stuff that we wear is still pretty questionable. Uh, but, uh, but I'm into this thing called uh, barbershop um, music. And one of the, the privileges I, I get to have with my quartet is that uh, we, we go to competitions. And in these competitions, I uh, get to be coached by absolutely amazing singers from, from all over the world. And so these coaches come in and they teach you a lot about the human voice. Now, the human voice is a really interesting thing because each and every person, every single human voice, sort of all, all the things are there biologically for every single human voice to be absolutely amazing. Every person, every voice has the potential to be amazing. Now, some of you are hearing this and you're like, I, hey, I don't know if you've heard me sing before, but I, I, don't, I, th- I don't think you got me on that. Okay, so, so I'll give you that. I, I, I see where you're coming from, but I would push back and say that, that the reason that maybe uh, your voice isn't where it should be is, is not because you lack anything biologically, but, but it's because of how your voice has developed. You see, uh, with this potential to be amazing, the only way that the human voice can, can reach that potential is through development. And that's why we go to coaches. We have these coaches come and tell us everything that we have to do to guide our voices along the path to development. And the reason this is, is because if we don't guide them, uh, our voices very naturally learn a lot of bad habits. They, they go in directions that aren't so helpful. So if there's this highest potential, if you're not intentional about guiding your voice to that highest potential, if you're not intentional, then your voice will very naturally uh, learn habits and, and different muscle memory things to where it, it just doesn't work the way that it's supposed to work. And so this is the reality. By and large, most people, most people have not been intentional with the development of their voice, the best singers, the people who have the best vocal quality, they've taken time to really craft their voice and make sure they form it on the right path. You see, every voice has this great potential to sound amazing, but that potential can't be realized without intentionally guiding and developing the voice. You see, the same principle, it holds true for the Christian life. 
Our vision at Village Church is this. We exist to make disciples who go, grow, and overcome. See, grow, that that word grow, it recognizes that one significant piece of what we're about here is Christian growth. We recognize that the development of the Christian, and we call it, the, the theological term for it is sanctification. Our process of being made more and more into the image of Christ. But growing is one significant piece of what we are about here. And see, this is the thing about growth. Growth implies a goal. Growth implies a goal. So just like the voice has this sort of highest potential that it can reach, this this amazing sound that it can get to if only the voice is guided on the right path, so too, for the Christian, there is this ideal of Christian maturity that the Christian can grow to as well. So if you would, please turn in your Bibles or on your apps, whatever uh, thing you're using for your scripture, please turn to Philippians chapter 3. That's where we're going to be at this morning. And I just want to set the text up for you. In Philippians, uh, Paul has been talking. He's been writing about the amazing worth of Christ, the surpassing worth of Christ. And you see, as Paul writes, he, he has this ideal of Christian maturity in his mind. And in fact, he, before uh, we get to our text here, right before that, he talks about this ideal of Christian maturity. And so we come to these words in verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And then if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So before we dig into this text, I just kind of want to set something up. So if you notice, we have the word perfect up here, and we have the word mature up here. Those two words are highlighted, and the reason I've highlighted those words is because those two words actually come from the same root word in Greek. And, and the reason I want to address this is because we look at the word perfect, and we kind of attach a lot of cultural baggage to the word perfect, like, oh, we can never be perfect, oh, we can never get there. And and the word perfect is really uh, not what Paul is going after. More, uh, the idea is more along the line of maturity. And so perfect and maturity come from the same root word in Greek, and that word is teleos. And teleos carries with it this idea of reaching a goal, becoming complete, becoming mature, These are uh, sort of the ideas that Paul has in mind as he writes this text. And so uh, when when he's talking about obtaining this, this perfection, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about maturity. And specifically, he's talking about his own maturity. So as we look at Paul, he offers himself as an example to teach us. And so in his reflections on his own maturity, Uh, I think we're going to be confronted with a couple of questions. A couple of questions that we have to answer this morning. So the first question is this. Am I 
really mature. This is what Paul writes. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. So this connects to to perfect or mature. That word is mature, remember. So this connects us to mature. The two things are equated. And so Paul is talking about, he's saying, not that I have already obtained this, this sort of maturity that I'm going after. And so when Paul says maturity, we have to ask the question, like, what, like what is maturity? What, what are you talking about when you say, like, sort of there's this, this completeness that the Christian is headed towards? What do you have in mind when you're talking about that? And this is where it's going to be helpful for us to look at the verses that came just before this. So in verse 7, this is what Paul writes. He said, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And then skipping to verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. So for Paul, as as he's thinking about maturity, as we look at this text, there are two key themes here. It's knowing Jesus and suffering. Knowing Jesus and suffering. That as he walks along this pathway towards Christian maturity, knowing Christ and suffering well are the keys to what that looks like for Paul. So as we think about this ideal of maturity that that Christians should be headed towards, that ideal for Paul, what he has in mind is knowing Christ and suffering well. And so I think we need to to unpack this a little bit. So we're going to sit on these ideas of knowing Christ and suffering well. First, the idea of knowing Christ. So I think as we talk about this, um, the concept can be a little scary because there, there's two simultaneous realities. There's one reality that, that you can know a lot about Jesus, and then there's the other reality that you can actually know Jesus. And you can know a lot about Jesus without actually knowing Jesus. And this is, this is the challenge that we have to come up to. This is the sort of scary thing because a lot of really good people can sit in church and sort of intellectually affirm a lot of things about Jesus. They can intellectually affirm that, that Jesus came to earth and they can intellectually affirm that Jesus died and that he rose again. And, and, and there are all these sort of affirmations that they can make. And you can actually believe that those things happen without ever actually knowing Jesus. And so uh, this distinction is hard, and, and, and as, we, as we sort through it, I'm trying to, to figure out, like, what does, what's the difference then between knowing about Jesus and actually knowing Jesus? It's a hard difference to, to sort of figure out. And so uh, I think of the story of Zacchaeus. I think Zacchaeus is a really good story 
for us as we, as we look at what it looks like to, to know Jesus. So Zacchaeus is a, a tax collector, which means in, uh, in Jewish society, he is sort of the most looked down upon person. He is the most viewed as the most sort of immoral person because uh, in Rome, tax collectors, they, they collected taxes for the government, but then they also, they got to take whatever money extra they wanted on top of that from the people. And so, uh, so Zacchaeus was one of these people that just took whatever extra he wanted on top of the base government tax. And so he profited off of making the lives of other people difficult. So as you can imagine, a person like Zacchaeus is not viewed very highly in his society. So uh, Zacchaeus knows about Jesus, and, and Jesus has been performing all these miracles. And, and then one day, Jesus is walking down the road, and uh, there, there are crowds all around. And Zacchaeus, he, he, really, he really wants to find something out about Jesus, because he's heard about him. He wants to, to see this guy that everybody has been talking about. So he climbs up in a tree to see over all the people's heads. And as Jesus is walking down the road, he points up to Zacchaeus and says, Zacchaeus... I'm going to your house today to eat with you. Now in this culture, to eat with somebody was to associate with them in a way that we don't commonly recognize today. To go to somebody's house and eat with them was to truly uh, associate yourself with them, to really uh, know them. And so uh, Jesus and and Zacchaeus, they go and they, they have lunch together. And I wish, I wish I knew what happened, what that conversation was like. What, when Jesus and Zacchaeus were together, what sort of things they talked about. But uh, we're not really told a whole lot about what that experience was. This is what we do know. After that experience, Zacchaeus comes out. And not only does he give back everything that he had taken, but he gives back over and above to everybody he had taken from. So he gives back what he had, he had taken from them unjustly, but then he gives back over and above. So this, this wretched tax collector meets Jesus, gets to know him, and then has this change of heart to where he gives back over and above what he had taken. And this is the principle that I think we can draw out. If you know, if you just know about Jesus, you don't really have to change. But when you know Jesus, when I know Jesus, the more I seek after him, the more I know him, the more I am changed. And that's where the difference comes in. Knowing Jesus brings about change. So then let's look at suffering well, as we look at suffering in the New Testament, the general expectation of any writer of the New Testament of Jesus is that if you are a Christian, you will suffer. It's, and it really sort of spits in the face of anything that would say health and wealth. If you believe in Jesus, then your life will just get a whole lot better. Like that's not, uh, yes, okay, so your life does get better, but, but not in the way that you would typically think. Because suffering is still a very big piece of what the Christian life looks like. 
So this is the general expectation of the New Testament. And what's interesting about what Paul writes in our text about suffering is not so much uh, that, that Christians will suffer or even what kind of suffering they'll experience. It, it, it's more about the perspective that one has on suffering. You see, uh, what, what shocked me about Paul and honestly what convicted me most about what he's written here it is the way he looks at suffering. He, he actually kind of looks at it with not quite excitement, but, but a certain level of appreciation for it. He, he sort of views it as a privilege, as an honor. And that's really interesting to me because if I'm in Paul's shoes or if I'm in any Christian's shoes in, in the time that Paul's writing in, I'm, I'm part of the group that is most faithful to God. God has sent his son Jesus and we have known him and we have decided to start following him. And so I'm part of the group that is most faithful to God. If suffering comes my way as a result of that, my response to God is not, this is a privilege. My response to God is probably going to be, God, how could you let this happen to me? I'm among the most faithful, and how could you allow this to happen to me? That's sort of going to be my knee-jerk response, right? I think that's going to be the knee-jerk response of all of us. But Paul views suffering as a privilege, an honor. So how can that be? How is it that Paul can view suffering as a privilege and an honor? And I think this is where it comes in. Paul recognizes that knowing, truly knowing Jesus is the highest value, the highest worth that anybody could achieve. The greatest thing that Paul could ever grasp for is knowing Jesus. And so any suffering that would come as a result of that it, it absolutely is a privilege. Any suffering that would come as a result of that is worth it. But if I, if I get to face suffering as a result of following Jesus, as a result of knowing him, well, knowing Jesus is absolutely worth it. It makes the suffering a privilege. And so this sort of brings us back to our first question. The question being, am I really mature? question, am I really mature? How are you doing with your maturity? How are you doing? How, how are you knowing Christ? How deep are you pursuing him? Are you suffering well? What kind of perspective do you have on your suffering? How are you doing? See, this is an evaluative question, and I think it's the question that Paul wants us to ask. And so we ask the question, am I really mature? And then we look at the answer that Paul gives. Paul says, not that I have already obtained this. He says, I'm not there yet. I haven't reached this Christian ideal. I haven't known Christ as much as I could possibly known him, know him. I haven't suffered as much as I could possibly suffer. I haven't suffered well. I haven't had the best perspective on it. But I press on to make it my own. You see, Paul acknowledging that he's not there yet, that he hasn't arrived, it simultaneously does two things. The first thing it does is it empathizes 
with those who think that they haven't arrived, those who realize that they're not there yet. So for those of you who find yourself feeling like, looking at your life and feeling like, I wish I was further along, I feel like I failed, I'm not doing as well as I could in my walk with God, I've not pursued him to my utmost. Paul says, I haven't arrived yet either. Not even have I arrived, but I press on. And Paul addresses the person who thinks they have arrived. The person who thinks, I'm, I'm spiritually, I'm pretty well off. I'm, I'm, I'm doing very good. I, 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 I think I probably have arrived. And to that person, Paul says, not even I have arrived yet. And still, I press on. And so Paul steps out and addresses both groups of people. And so as we look at this question, am I really mature? Am I really mature? I think, after looking at this, I think we would all have to say no. I think we could all say that we could all know Christ more. That we we could all have a better perspective on suffering. That we could all uh, be willing to suffer a little bit more. So am I really mature? Uh, No, probably not. If you think that you are, I'd love to have a conversation with you after the sermon. It'd be great. Uh, But no, we are not all mature. So then, so then we press on. And this is the point. If you answer no to this question, this is what Paul wants you to see. Seek Christ, suffer well, and you will will grow. If you're not there yet, if you are not already mature, seek Christ, suffer well, and you will grow. So then as Paul continues on, we're going to be presented with another question. And that question is this, what keeps me from maturity? Paul writes, but one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So as we look at uh, this passage, Paul gives us sort of the manner in which he is able to pursue Christ, the, the, the actions that he has to take in order to be able to pursue Christ better. And the actions that Paul takes here uh, reveal to us sort of roadblocks that can get in the way of our own maturity. So what keeps me from maturity? The first thing I see that keeps us from maturity as Paul is writing here is this. My focus on the past keeps me from maturity. Maybe for some of us, it's how much we failed. For some of us, it's how, how much we've not been able to achieve, how, how, how much we have just fallen short each and every time. And so you get oh, so overwhelmed by that, that falling short that, that to seek, to, to press on, to pursue, it, it, it just doesn't feel like it's worth it. 
And then maybe there are some of you who recognize how far you've come. You look back in your past, you look at where you used to be, and you look at all you did in the past and and sort of where you've arrived at now, and you feel really, really good about that. You feel like, gosh, I've I've sought God really well. It feels like I've arrived. And both, both are hindered in their growth by a focus on the past that is just too big. I think of this, uh, there's a a helpful illustration for this. So when we drive a car, uh, we sort of, we have to see what's in front of us. Uh, So so we have a rear view mirror, right? And that, that rear view mirror, if it were the size of our windshield, well, we would get in an accident pretty quickly, right? If the rear view mirror were that big, we wouldn't be able to see anything that's in front of us. And that's why the rear view mirror just takes up a small portion of the windshield. Because looking back and seeing what has happened is helpful, but ultimately where we're going is forward. That's ultimately the direction that we're headed in. And so we're called to press on. I had a unique opportunity in uh, my last semester in school, uh, last, during the fall, um, I took a class on addiction counseling. And uh, with people who are addicted, one of the big struggles is uh, focusing too much on the past. Because for people who are struggling with addictions, all they see is how much they failed. All they see is how much they, they haven't achieved, how much they've lost as a result of their addiction. And so there's a really helpful uh, sort of uh, tool that's used in addiction counseling, uh, and and it's called the day-by-day perspective. And what the day-by-day perspective does is it says, I have no control over what I did years ago, days ago, months ago, weeks ago. It it doesn't matter. I, I have no control over what's in the past. What I do have control over is today. What I can control is what I do with the next hour, what I do with the next three hours, what I do with the next day. And so I take responsibility for this day. And so I think in our own growth, we need to, we need to sort of shrink the rearview mirror a little bit. And we just need to take the day-by-day perspective. What I have responsibility for, what I can control, is seeking Christ more today is knowing him better today, is having a better perspective on suffering today, is being a little bit more willing to accept whatever he would send my way. I can be faithful with today. The second thing that keeps me from maturity is this, my standard of comparison. Paul says, let those of us who are mature think this way. He's, he's kind of uh, sort of doing an association here. He, he wants to, to, to call out. He's like, I know, I know that there are some of you who really think that you've got this thing figured out, who really think that you have arrived. And so he's saying to those of you who think you have arrived, let us think this way as well. Basically, let us think as if we haven't arrived. Those of us who think we have arrived, let us think as if we haven't arrived. Now, why do you think people might come to the conclusion that they've arrived? 
Well, as we look around us, if we're in a church of people who are all trying to pursue Christ, something that happens is it becomes pretty easy to compare ourselves to the person who's next to us, to compare ourselves to the people around us and and look at their walks with Jesus and say, hey, my, my walk with Jesus is doing better than their walk with Jesus. I must be doing pretty well. And so then there are some people who, whose walks with Jesus are doing better than everybody's. And, and they're pretty well off. And so they, they feel like they have arrived. And the issue is the standard of comparison. We're not called to compare with other people. That's not our standard of comparison. Our standard of comparison is Jesus. Have you arrived at where Jesus is yet? If not, press on. And so our standards of comparison can get in the way they can be roadblocks to our maturity. But the third thing that can be a roadblock to our maturity is this. What I value can keep me from maturity. What I value can keep me from maturity. Paul calls this upward call of God, this pathway of growth that he's headed on, he calls it a prize. Earlier on in in the passage, before, um, before we even get to this point, before verse 12, Paul talks about the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. You see, for Paul, knowing Christ is the greatest thing that anyone could ever achieve. Some of us, the reason that we're not pushing more into knowing Christ, pushing more into suffering, willing to accept what he might have, of us, have for us, the reason that we're not willing to do that honestly is because we don't value knowing Jesus enough. Now, I don't say that to condemn you, and I, I don't say that to say, change your values. You need to change your values. No, because that's not how we work. So I, I, I'm, not, I'm not here to, to, to condemn you or, or to call you out for that. I'm here to tell you that Jesus, knowing Jesus is better than whatever it is that you're valuing. So maybe some of you are afraid Maybe you don't push into Jesus because you're afraid of what he might call you to lose, what he might call you to suffer for his sake. Maybe some of you are entertaining some sort of sin. I can tell you that if you know Jesus, if you get to know Jesus, he's going to ask you to give that up. He's going to ask you to walk away from that. but knowing Jesus is better than whatever that sin is that you're entertaining. Maybe some of you are afraid because he's going to ask you to give up some convenience in your life. He's going to ask you uh, to take a step that you don't want to take. You're afraid. Knowing Jesus is better than whatever convenience you would have to give up for his sake. Maybe Jesus is going to ask you to do something crazy like take up your cross and follow him. Maybe he might say something to you like he said to the rich young ruler, sell everything you own and give it to the poor and follow me. I'm not saying that Jesus is going to ask each and every person all of these things, but he might. Are you prepared to do whatever Jesus calls you to do? 
So the reason that some of us don't seek Christ more, don't pursue him, don't want to know him more is because we're afraid of what he might ask us to do. The encouragement this morning is to seek Christ, suffer well, and you will grow. Think of what you might lose when you seek Christ more, when you seek Jesus more. If you get to know Jesus more, he's going to ask you to live with integrity. And maybe in living with integrity, that might cause a strain in a relationship. It might be with a family member. It might be with somebody else. But when you live with integrity, that might bother that other person. And they might not want to preserve that relationship with you. So maybe you're going to lose a relationship for pursuing Christ more. Knowing Jesus is worth it. Maybe Jesus is going to call you to give up some sort of money or, or to give away money or to be generous or something like that. Whatever money you might lose for his sake, knowing Jesus is worth it. Maybe Jesus is going to call you to give up some level of comfort. Maybe he's going to call you to change your standard of living. Knowing Jesus is worth it. Knowing Jesus makes every possible loss that could come our way absolutely worth it. Why? Because we get a closer walk with Jesus. This is the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. And so so you're probably hearing this this morning and you might ask, well then how can how can I trust how can I trust that knowing Jesus is of greater value. Like how, how do I actually know that if I, if I pursue Christ more that it will be of greater value than all these other things that I want? In verse 12, Paul writes this. We look back. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. You see, Paul upholds this pathway to maturity. He says, I press it, press on to make it my own. I want to make it my own. There's surpassing value. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Because Christ Jesus has taken this person, this sinner, this person who was against him, this person who who honestly was an enemy of God, who who, uh, always fought to maintain my own right to live my life the way that I want. And Jesus, knowing the person that I was, extended his hand to me and asked me to know him. Christ Jesus made me his own. And because of that, that's the foundation of my growth. That's why I know, I can trust that pressing on, whatever I might suffer, whatever I might lose, it's worth it. So what? So we've been talking about growth. What's the big deal about growth? What does growth have to do with where we are right now? And I think there are a couple of things that are gonna be really evident to us for growth. The first one is this. We are developing creatures. We are creatures who are constantly learning. So I talked about the voice earlier on and how if you don't develop the voice to its highest potential, then it will just sort of naturally develop away from that potential. 
Well, the same is true for the Christian life. You know, there's the, the song that we all, we, we all have to serve somebody. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but we all have to serve somebody. Well, you could say that we all have to grow somewhere. That, that, that there's no such thing as just being stagnant, as just staying where I am. So, so if you're not seeking Christ and if you're not suffering well and if you're not walking along the path to maturity, then the other option is that you're going to be growing towards something else. If you don't intentionally, if we don't intentionally take uh, responsibility for our growth, then something, someone or something else will. So that's one reason why this is so crucial for us, so important for us. But then the other reason is this. We have the potential to build a legacy. Village Church is in a a very unique place right now. We're we're planting another church. We're in Bartlett. We're in uh, Carroll Stream soon. Uh, We're seeing a lot of really good things happen at this church. God is doing a great work. And so we have an amazing opportunity to leave a lasting impact on the surrounding area, to leave a lasting impact for the sake of Christ, to make Jesus's name great and known here. But a church is not just an organization, it's an organization made up of individuals. And so if we're individuals who choose not to press on, not to pursue our own growth, then we forfeit a desire to leave a legacy. But if we do take responsibility for our growth, if we do press on, if we do pursue Christ more, if we do change our perspective on our suffering, and if we are willing to each day take another step into knowing Jesus to do what he, whatever he would ask us to do. Well then, think. Think of the impact that Village Church of Bartlett, Village Church East, that they'll, they'll leave on the communities that they're in. Village Church, let us press on in our growth, in the path of knowing Christ and suffering well. Because we have the opportunity to leave a great legacy. But even more importantly, because Jesus made made us his own. And because knowing Jesus is worth it. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would, God, build in us a desire to know you more. We are filled in a society of distractions that throws different, uh, Lord, throws different blocks in our path. Lord, that diverts our attention away from you, that gets us to value other things. Lord, I ask that you would well up in each and every one of us a desire to know you more. Lord, I ask you to give us this perspective that Paul has, that, that knowing you is the greatest, greatest value that we could ever achieve, the greatest worth that we could ever have. It surpasses anything that we might lose.
Lord, I pray that you would just well this motivation up inside of us. Lord, so that we might pursue you. Lord, help us to want to pursue you, to want to grow. Lord, let us not forget the importance of growth as we head into this new year. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we thank you that you even give us the opportunity to grow, to grow beyond our, our natural sinful state, to, to, to have something of holiness in our lives. This is a grand opportunity that you've given us, and it's all because of Jesus. And so we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.